Welcome everybody to podcast today for September 1st, 2016. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is now 13 films out of the current 22 announced in a seemingly never-ending set of films. So I figured I'd run back through them one by one for people to actually realize, wait, there's been a lot of films. So, you know, might as well remind yourself what happened in them. Joining me to do so is a lad named Barry. That's me. Wow. Did you say 22 films announced? Jeez. Yeah, but by the end of 2019, when we get the second half of Infinity Wars, that will be the 22nd film in the Marvel Damn. Cinematic Universe. Damn, 22 in how many? Okay, so that's 2020. So I guess Iron Man was 08. So 22 and 12 years. Wow. That's... Yeah. And I'm I'm definitely one of the people who feels the saturation a little bit, but even that even that makes me do a double take. Like that's kind of crazy. And that's just Marvel. Yeah, yeah. You got like you know, obviously you got DC doing their thing, but you also have like you know Fox trying to piece their little things together, the little like shreds of IP they own, like you know a little bit of Deadpool trying to squeeze that into X Men. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. It is a lot. It's certainly it's certainly more than I ever imagined 15 years ago when I was just so excited there was a Spider-Man feature film coming out. You know, I did not know that there would be like five of these movies a year when I was older. Yeah, it's, those films don't even count anymore. They're, they're not Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy how everyone, now that there's two big major universes, it, it is kind of crazy to, to see that some people really just, they don't care about films that don't tie-in necessarily like deadpool got some traction that was good but people just seem compl- until marvel buys the rights back i get the vibe that most people just don't care about x-men anymore even if the films are good it's just it's very weird because now everything's so interconnected i guess people perhaps think that the uh the movies that are not connected perhaps have less consequence or something like that i don't know but it's uh the 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 uh the dawn of the cinematic universe is certainly it changed the game Definitely, in a, in a huge way. And sure, everyone wants their own cinematic universe now, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Because... It's 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 not enough to just have the film. It's got to tie in in some way to something else. I'm pretty sure Universal want to do their own like monsters cinematic universe with like Godzilla and King Kong. I think I think that's confirmed, isn't it? Aren't they? If 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 uh, Skull Island hits, I'm pretty sure they've said they want to do Kong versus uh, Godzilla. I don't, I don't know if this was true. I can't remember where I heard this, but I could have sworn I heard when Straight Outta Compton came out. Someone said that they that because uh, I, I believe I haven't seen it, but I believe there is a, a a a Tupac is in that movie in some capacity. I could have sworn I heard that they that they want to spin him off into his own Tupac movie, but but it would also be in the cinematic universe slash biopic world of no you know straight out of Compton. Like it's just now it's now it's just getting crazy. Now it's not even comic book stuff now or or monster stuff. Now it's like biopics based in the same universe it's just it's very very bizarre it's like it's it's kind of become one of those buzzwords that i think marketing people just love now because they realize the kids like like their movies to be interconnected in some way the real world is the biggest cinematic universe of them all truly we we, we've been in the biggest cinematic universe of all all along but the film that started all this released in 2008 directed by john favreau starring robert downey jr terrence howard jeff bridges and gwyneth paltrow iron man yes yeah and I think it's like I think it's a really rock solid foundation and ironically enough I think what's kind of great about it as a foundation is that it's not a hyper connected movie really at all there's like two 
I think there's like two nod and winks at the idea of a broader universe with the shield mention and then the post credits thing. Yep. But other other than that, it's just here's this character origin story. It's extremely it's extremely one character driven, and it's its own isolated little thing. And if you show this to a person and then cut them off and didn't tell them that there was a whole twenty one other films tied <laughs> to it, it would stand alone perfectly fine on its own. It's actually it's it's kind of weird in retrospect. Because now, like, like you look at something more recent, like Ant Man, and that that had like a cameo in it. That had um, who was in that? Uh, who else was in that? From uh, the Falcon. Universe? Falcon. That was it. Yeah. So even that had, had a cameo. Whereas this, it's just you know the the uh, the idea of a broader universe was just a glimmer in your eye at the time. It was just a uh, it was just a Tony Stark movie. Yeah, and, even uh, when you look at like Guardians of the Galaxy, was which is literally set in another universe. Still has like Infinity Stones and Thanos in it to tie into the the broader yeah. Marvel stuff. Yeah, because I, I, I and it's funny because that one I, I I think it almost feels like there was kind of ironic in hindsight because it was such a smash hit. But I feel like those maybe trepidation. I feel like they were thinking, man, if we don't tie this in, nobody's gonna care, or who knows who these characters are? These are so niche. But yeah, Iron Man. I mean, it's 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 um. It's pretty interesting because it's kind of like you can look back on it and review it as a standalone thing, but it's also, you know, it kicked off this whole trend. So it's almost like two films in some way uh, in terms of how it can be broken down. But yeah, it's um, it's hard to imagine. It's almost a decade old as well. That's, that's weird. That is a terrifying thought. Do you remember like seeing this at the time? I actually did not see this in the theater uh, uh, when it came out. I, I don't know what it was put me off i guess i mean would i have been in i guess i was still in school i guess i wasn't a big i wasn't a big cinema guy when i was younger so i i generally waited th- till things came out on, on on dvd or whatever and so everyone went crazy for it for some reason i just missed it and then eventually i i, I think i i rented the the dvd and I, I i did absolutely love it uh and since then i've seen this thing so many times because i feel like it's it's on tv an awful lot you know it's on netflix it's like i've i've seen it quite a few times but yeah, I remember the first time I saw it, I was I was really pleasantly surprised because Iron Man was a character that I didn't really I didn't really have nostalgia for it because I was a Spider Man kid growing up, and then you know my second favorite was Batman, and then after that it was X Men, and Iron Man was a character I didn't really know much about, and he didn't really have a cool factor to me, and then this film came out, and this film absolutely had a cool factor, largely due to Robert Downey Jr.'s performance. It was like you know it wasn't just great action; it was a like this barnstorming, can't take your attention off it, kind of uh, uh, centerpiece, uh, and it was it was really, really, uh, really, really engrossing. My intro to all of the Marvel characters are, the, are those old like '90s cartoons. Yeah, and like if I were to rank them in order of preference when I was a child, there would be like Spider-Man, X-Men. I never really watched the Fantastic Four one, so Hulk after that, and then Iron Man would probably come toward the end. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. The Fantastic Four one was was okay. It was you know it was all right. Uh, I think it was probably better received than than pick you know pick an iteration of the movies, whichever one you want. Um, I think the cartoons received better. But um, yeah, I mean the cartoons. I think they were very. Um, I for the record, by the way, I've never read an Iron Man comic. I actually don't know much at all about about the the, the roots of the character in, in the comic sense. I remember the cartoon just being very uh, kind of dry. I suppose it it, it didn't really capture uh, the eccentric nature of Tony Stark. And I think Iron Man's kind of one of those characters. Him and Batman are two characters where people are just they're fascinated with the alter ego almost more so than the 
the superhero persona. It's like people people want their film Batmans to have great Bruce Waynes, and I think and I think that's what made uh, the Iron Man film click was that. Uh, first of all, that film there's there's really not a whole lot of actual Iron Man minutes in the actual film. There's an awful long time before you see the suit, and then even once you do see it, it's uh, it's used sparingly. So um, it was very much car- carried by the the kind of the Tony Stark, you know, his character arc over the course of the film. So yeah, that's something that the film did that the cartoon really didn't. You know, he's he's a much more eccentric, both in terms of writing and also the performance. It's it's a much more bombastic, you know. John Favreau was actually originally going to cast an unknown, which I think would have tanked the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Really, I was I was not aware of that. Yeah, that's actually kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I think I think I mean Downey Jr. I mean, there's two things. I mean, like you mentioned, obviously there's the name value, you know, because you know, big name, big you know, well-known superhero IP. Obviously, that's a recipe for success. But also, I can't really imagine. So it's so weird now to imagine this role being done by anyone else. I mean, it's kind of weird to think about it, but at some stage, presumably in maybe 25 years or something, I don't know, but presumably, you know, Marvel's going to revisit this franchise and it's going to be with someone else. And I can't wrap my head around that no. because it's it's so it's so Robert Downey Jr. to the point that when you see him on TV, you just can't think of anything else other than Tony Stark. And you can't think of anything other than him just cracking wise, you know, in a suit, you know, mixing it up with with, you know, the well to do in these movies. Yeah, looking forward to all the War Machine spinoff films when they kill off Iron Man. Yeah, I not quite. Not quite. You know, it's it's. I think even though I even though you know the you know the sequels, which we won't get into, I suppose. But even though they didn't quite hit as hard, and and I am kind of ready for the character to kind of quietly fade away. I think I think superhero films in general will be missing something once he's he's gone. So I kind of joked about it, but I really don't think the Marvel Cinematic Universe would have taken off without his Iron Man. He is like the linchpin. He is essential. Yeah, absolutely. Not only not only in terms of. Um, like finance, like obviously the fact that this was very successful and it was a commercial and critical hit, and uh, it kind of it kind of got the 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 wheels turning, but also in terms of um you know fan uh, loyalty because you look at a movie like you look at like say the first two DC ones the the Man of Steel and the Batman v Superman it's like they both made a ton of money well I don't know if Man of Steel did but Batman v Superman made a lot but it's it's not enough to just make money once right you need you need people coming out of that theater saying wow that was a great time because you're hypothetically making 20 years worth of films off of this goodwill so dc are kind of up in the air at the moment i don't think they'll cut bait but um you know it's certainly feels like they're they're scratching their head and they're reconsidering some things whereas you know if 15 years ago before all of this kicked off if if you heard that marvel wanted to they had this elaborate plan and all these interconnected movies and they're going to be all different writers, all different directors doing these films. You might think this is insanely ambitious. Yeah. It's like, this is so ambitious and, and ambition is good, but my God, how are you going to pull this off? And, and if you looked at the, the map of all the films, you'd be like, who the hell are these characters? You're going to make a movie about Ant-Man and, and, and Groot, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to do that. How is that? How is that going to work? And so this first film, it really was a, a you know, kind of defiant statement saying this is a, a quality driven thing this is not just churn you know and, and even though i feel like there's an awful lot of the movies and maybe we're a little bit a little bit oversaturated i still don't feel like it's it's churn because i do feel like there's a level of, of care and, and and finesse to to how the movies are produced i think that comes from the advantage of having different people making them 
you know, if the same people were making these films and turning them out over and over and over again, say Chris Nolan or mm. the, his brother, yeah, you kind of get into that fatigue. You have only so many stories in you. Whereas when you have different people and different writers and different directors taking like different takes on all of these characters, it that at least creates something different and fresh each time. Yeah, absolutely. And and like so, I mean, John Favreau had a very particular. Uh, style with Iron Man, and then you look at something like you know, just to go back to Guardians, which we mentioned a few times. I mean, David Gunn's such an uh, a unique filmmaker. You look at something like Super, and it's this just completely off the wall, kind of bizarre thing. And then you put him, you know, in the in the hot seat for a Marvel film. It's such a it's such a unique juxtaposition. The Russo brothers, my God, they have this. They have the magic touch, you know. With, they should with, make superhero films until the end of time. I they should, happy. if yeah, if it's not for if if the Marvel Cinematic Universe wraps and it's all done and we all look back fondly on it, and Disney says, okay, we're going to go in a different direction, no more of this stuff. I hope another company is there to scoop those guys up, and I don't know if it's DC or a smaller company again, but my God, these guys, these guys really should be making, if not superhero movies, then certainly high octane action movies for the rest of their days because they are they're very gifted. But yeah, and it's you know. Those you know, those three directors, just the three that we mentioned, you know, all very different. And it, it was kind of a bummer for me that uh, Edgar Wright didn't stick with Ant-Man all the way through to release. But, uh, you know, I did notice his name was still featured like pretty prominently uh, in the credits of Ant-Man. And his his style is it's, it's all over that film. It's all yeah. over that film. So so even though tonally the film still fit together reasonably well, they they all have their own unique sense of charm and they all have their own different kind of gimmicks kind of seems a bit dismissive i'm not trying to i don't mean to use that in a disparaging way but they all have their own kind of gimmicks in terms of uh you know scratching different itches uh you know guardians had the um the 80s kind of soundtrack really really heavy on the comedy compared to uh some of the other stuff i mean i know the mcu is pretty comedic in general but uh they kind of lean into it more and then with this with this first iron man movie i mean i really do feel like relative to some of the other stuff it's really slowly paced i think like God, I mean, how long did they spend in that cave in the first in the first half of the movie? I mean, it pretty much is the first half of the movie, right? I mean, it's 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 establishing Tony Stark as this kind of uh, guy who maybe needs to be taken down a peg. You don't you don't he he has a cool swagger, but you don't necessarily like him, so to speak. It doesn't feel earned either, does it? Yeah, and, and uh, you know he's kind of yeah he's inherited a lot of it, and so you. They they put the time in. It's not the fastest moving film, and I know a lot of people on a rewatch maybe ha- dislike that about it. But they establish this character. They they take everything away from him. They knock him down a peg, and then they kind of make you respect him because he shows a level of grit and determination to to earn it all back and to to save to literally save his life, and then also to kind of uh, kind of change his his course in life to not just be this kind of arrogant guy trading in in blood money and to do something right. It's a it's a really it's a really well done well paced character story and I think I think because of that you can kind of forgive the um certain you know the the Terrible kind of villain yeah I mean the, the the villain and the and the other stuff that's become the hallmark the kind of the MCU tropes the generic villain who basically wants to steal the superhero's power and you know I, I mean that stuff is all extremely well worn and and I'm sure as you kind of go through the MCU stuff. That uh, that topic will come up quite a lot, but you know when the writing's strong enough and the directing's strong enough, you can. I mean, you can overlook that. I mean, how many how many truly original ideas are there in blockbusters these days? Not to not to make excuses, but 
you know you can you can take tried and tested ideas and if your if your writing is is colorful enough i feel like it can you can make it work and, and they that, absolutely did with this first one and that was fresher at the time you know it's it's tough to look back at this film through like the lens of the mcu with everything that came afterward and separated from everything else yeah you know that wouldn't have been as trite and contrived and you know like you've seen it a million times already in 2008 yeah absolutely and, and and you know uh, even though the I mean the thing the generic villains are probably a, a great example as well of something that uh, you know a bit trite a bit well done uh, not well done a bit overdone perhaps but execution is everything and you know whereas Deadpool just kind of just as an example off the top of my head they had a generic villain but also not not a super noteworthy performance not a lot going on there Iron Man fairly well you know overdone trope but Jeff Bridges awesome he can carry uh, the weight of it yeah. In the in the in the role, kind of over the top, really just kind of chewed the scenery, super charismatic, brought a lot to what could have been a very flat role. I thought I thought he was he was really fantastic. And it's interesting. Apparently, they cut a lot of Jeff Bridges' scenes in favor of like just telling Tony Stark's story, purely mm-hmm. because like eh, Jeff Bridges will be able to carry it. Yeah, and he was. <laughs> you know, so and I guess this film was also uh, uh, the debut of of Paul Bettany who would be an actual character like 10 films later, I guess. Yep. But in this one, he was just a voice. He's more like comic relief side character here, isn't he? Yeah. I tell you what, if there's one, if there's one tried and true trope that I really love, it's the sassy computer. (laughs) It's the back, the back talking AI is always a, uh, it's always, always a welcome inclusion in in a fantasy film, in my opinion. And the the sassy fire extinguisher. That's the highlight of this film. Yes. Yeah. 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 This the, uh, this this film's comedy, I think, really lands. Which is funny considering it's it's like all, all three of the films are kind of they're pretty grim by MCU standards. They they have um they have their moments that are quite dark and quite quite a degree of peril. But they also feel like they all really stick the comedy really well. And again, you know, Robert Downey Jr. Apparently, uh, to thank for that, Paul Bettany, great delivery. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow as well. I think she. Um, I'm not crazy about her in these films, but I think she, uh, I think she, uh, she does a, a pretty solid job, and, and she does, she does uh, hit the comedy quite well. She kind of makes the most of what she's given because she's not given an awful lot. No, no, yeah, that's an, that that is another thing. She is kind of just the, uh, she she is kind of just the love interest who they throw a bone here or there, kind of to make her seem kind of cooler and more than just that. But I, I think she is ultimately just that, which is a shame. But she she does quite well with what she has. Of course, Terrence Howard plays War Machine in this, as opposed to John Cheadle. Yeah, I like John Cheadle, but I was kind of disappointed that Terrence Howard didn't stick around. I like him a lot. I think he's, I think he has a, a, a sort of certain kind of charm and charisma to him. I, I thought it would have been neat to see him as actual uh, War Machine. I thought that would have been neat. But, hey, you know, I can't, don't quite remember what happened there. Was it just a business deal? He just went south. He just didn't want to do it. I don't recall, really. I'm pretty sure it was money, yeah. Money, yeah. Hey, look, you know, uh, Cheadle's, Cheadle's great. So so uh, it's not like it's not like he didn't do a great job. But, yeah, Terrence Howard, a, a, a big fan. Uh, and he was he was rock solid in this film. And a lot of people kind of bring that up as, a, as an example. Because, obviously, the DC universe, all up in a heap, all this talk of, you know, competing edits for a film. And, you know, this guy disagrees with this guy and how to make it work. And, you know, it's it's important to look back and say, hey, Iron Man, the movie that kicked it all off, made all this money, kickstarted this trend. One of their prominent stars just didn't come back for the sequel. And they had to they had to make do uh, and adjust as they go. Things don't always go as planned. But I guess the the proof is in the pudding in terms of how the companies actually deal with that. So, yeah, that that's that's just one example of how the MCU wasn't all smooth sailing. But I think they I think they did pretty well. And, and Cheadle was a solid replacement. 
even when you move on to the next film, which is Hulk, you have to recast the lead after that. So yeah, I mean that's an even better example, you know. And 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 Ruffalo's tremendous, you know. That was a, a dare I say, I think they actually came out on the better end of that. They traded up. Yeah, absolutely, which is great. Yeah, so I mean, I would, I don't know about you, but I actually I haven't seen all the MCU films. I think I think I've seen all, but you know, uh, I think like. Thor 2, I think is really what I haven't seen. As far as they all go, I still think I actually think Iron Man's got to be near the top of, of, of their offerings. Especially in Phase 1. It's it's better than nearly all of the Phase 1 films. I wouldn't say all of them. Yeah. Excluding the Avengers. Excluding team-ups. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Phase 1, I think, is is a a collection of solid efforts and then Iron Man stands above them. You know, Thor is like, okay, but I, I, Thor's one of those things I don't think I'd ever watch again. And that's not a diss on it. It's just I saw it once. It was all right. I, I'll never revisit it. And I think that's generally my opinion on most of the MCU stuff. But Iron Man, I, I actually don't know how many times I've seen this film at this stage because it's it's so, so, so rock solid in, in everything it does that, uh, you know, it's it's easy to revisit. I think it does stand out early, possibly overshadowed. You know, you have your Winter Soldiers, your Civil Wars and all that stuff later on. But uh, as far yeah, as far as phase one goes, I think you're spot on. Yeah, this one, this one's way up there. Actually, this is this is before Disney. This is pre-Disney. That's interesting as well, yeah, because I feel like um, Disney, as a corporation, kind of, I think they do deserve a lot of credit for being very uh, ruthlessly guess, efficient. Yeah, but but also kind of like uh, you know quality driven, because I think you see that with Star Wars as well. You know, they could have given Star Wars to anyone, right? I mean, they could have they could have given it to some hack who would have made the film cheaply and and kept things in budget and it would have been all very good hey look i mean look george lucas even though he sold it he did write treatments for those films they could have given it they could have bought it from him then given him the movies right but you know they took the time and the effort they put the right people on it and, and they didn't just churn out a star wars movie they made a really great one and i think they've done that same thing with with marvel generally speaking it's not enough to just uh you know force out 22 films i think generally speaking they've they've put the effort in to um to really focus on them being good films that, that click with audiences. But yeah, this this predates that. So they... Uh, I'm trying to think, who who did distribute this? I'm trying to recall. Uh, Marvel technically made it themselves, and then Paramount distributed it. Okay. Yes. This is the, I guess, yeah, so this would have been Marvel's first effort as a... As a, a filmmaker. Uh, a filmmaker, yeah, which is interesting. Interestingly, actually, if you go back through the rights history of Iron Man, mm. in 1990, Universal bought it. In 1996, Fox bought the rights from Universal with a view to making a Tom Cruise-led Iron Man film. Hmm. Then in 1999, New Line Cinema bought the rights off of Fox before they reverted back to Marvel in 2005. So it was quite the merry-go-round to get this film made in the end. Yeah, I mean, look, if you look, Marvel pre-Iron Man one, I mean, look, the the story of their of their rights and their attempts to crack kind of the feature film realm are are, are well documented. I mean, it's just. I, I wonder if by the end of phase three, I mean, you'd kind of imagine that maybe that's when they're going to wind down the MCU and maybe there won't be any more. But like they, they just got Spider-Man back and who knows, you know, in, in ten, you know, five or ten years, they might get Fantastic Four back and they might get X-Men. I think I they'll mean, get Fantastic Four before X-Men because I think Fox will cling to X-Men to save their lives. Yeah, but uh, Fox have a weird thing with Fantastic Four. I mean, they didn't need to make that most recent one. They really didn't. But I feel like they they did so purely to keep the rights. It's just Fox is a weird company. Yeah, it's just it's it's really it's really interesting to look at Marvel's. There's a I'm sure there's a great book to be written or documentary to be made about 
Marvel's pre-MCU efforts to make films yeah. and who they sold their rights to and the, the state of their rights. I mean, you could Google, you know, people listening to this could, could look up the, the weird bar graph of who owns what and characters like Quicksilver who belong kind of in two realms and, and all this other stuff. It's, it's fascinating, but... Um, it's something as simple as the fact that the Marvel Cinematic Universe can't use the word mutant because Fox own it. I, exactly and that's 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 perfect and you, you, that manifests in really awkward ways in in like uh their netflix shows with like jessica jones and stuff because they they there are some moments where kind of the script kind of has to tiptoe around that stuff i think enhanced uh, is their their word of preference which is yeah which 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 does come off as, as kind of lame you know so it's 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 very very interesting to see not only how desperate marvel were i think I, i'm pretty sure those film rights were all sold decades ago to to sustain their existence you know they they you know gave spider-man to sony and all this other stuff because they needed the money uh and now how how their fortunes are turned around now sony's just like all right we don't know how to make these movies anymore so we'll just we'll just give it to you guys and just cut us in on the profits not a bad way to do things like paramount just got paid by disney just disney had to buy the distribution rights back off paramount yeah but you know basically be paid for nothing (laughs) yeah it's uh yeah and it's, it's impressive when you do keep in mind how much they how much Marvel don't own, how how they've managed to kind of put together such a, a co- coherent and acclaimed universe, you know, without Spider Man, without without Wolverine, really without their heavy hitters. Like and Iron, they... Iron Man is a nobody, you know. If you like, poll, yeah. If you poll people in like 2006 and ask them to say like, what's Iron Man's alter ego? I'd imagine like 80 percent of people wouldn't know the answer. Right, and like, you know, Captain America is a big name, you know. Thor, if you said Thor to people today, most people would probably say, oh, yeah, the Marvel guy. If you said it to them before the MCU, they'd probably guess, you know, the mytho- they'd probably refer to the mythological character without ties to the comic. Uh, I mean, who else? I mean, Guardians, obviously, is, is a great example. I mean, there there are companies out there fumbling with Spider-Man and Wolverine and they can't they just can't get their 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 head in the game. And, you know. The MCU made a star out of, you know, Groot and and all these these kind of these misfit characters who nobody heard of before, you know, three years ago. It's impressive. I mean, it is impressive that they 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 have a standard and with a few exceptions, generally all their films are above that standard. And uh, Iron Man was was really the best foot forward. It really was. Apparently, the reason they went with Iron Man over anyone else is because he was the only one who hadn't been adapted into anything like they'd already tried Hulk. And I think Captain America had some weird stuff in the 90s. So it's just like, let, let's start fresh with a character who has no, like, baggage. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a, that was a, a good idea. Because also, I guess then maybe you have the, the lore of kind of the newness factor. Like, there's a, you know, an air of just something a little bit different to it, which is, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's, uh, was it the right approach? It was kind of the right mesh of technology and the character. You know, like you couldn't make an Iron Man film in the '80s without either looking terrible or super hokey. Yeah, right. And then this, yeah, this, I, all, all the stuff looks really cool in this, especially uh, the the scenes where where he's like testing out the uh, the flight and stuff in his like uh, in his in his den or whatever it is. It's pretty impressive, you know. They got Robert Downey Jr. floating there, and it looks it looks decent. Even eight years later, it hasn't aged particularly badly either. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're, yeah, so. Uh, I think I think part of what made the film work is just that the planets all kind of aligned a particular way to make it work. And then Disney were like, "We'll have that." Yeah, absolutely. They they bought Marvel for four billion. 
that seems like an absolute steal in hindsight. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's one of the better deals uh, in the last couple of years in, in Hollywood, I'd imagine. I'm fairly sure they got Lucas Arts for a similar amount. I think it was below four. I think they... Because I think that was even more shocking again. I can't remember, though. I, I might be way wrong on that. It was give or take four. You'd make that much back on the toys for Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else about this film? Sorry. No, I think I think we kind of covered all our our bases there. I mean, it 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 hit in a really great way, and uh, uh, it was uh, it, you know we talked about the unknown nature of it and how they thought that would be the best way to start with something that was new. That you know that's a gamble, and it it really paid off. It really did. So and like even yeah. at the time, Robert Downey Jr. was a well known name, but you wouldn't exactly call him a movie star. He's I don't want to say his star has faded. That's quite a you know, a damning thing to say, but I, I would say he, you know, he certainly wasn't the, at, at his peak before this film. And then we had the the very mild nudges toward the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Samuel L. Jackson in the post credits, and then yeah. Clark, Clark Legs, Clark Gregg, spread amongst the film. He's a very annoying name. Yeah, yeah, was, they, those were nice little subtle touches, but they were subtle enough that if the whole thing failed, that I guess people wouldn't have been too bummed because it was just uh, it was a it was a wink at the camera. It wasn't it wasn't too heavy handed. Yeah, it's not like, well, the entire thing collapsed and now this film doesn't stand on its own at all. Ah, well. <laughs> yeah. Actually, one more thing. Do you think this film leaned a little too heavy on Arab stereotyping? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's certainly... Uh, like, it's you, certainly... Kind of, you kind of understand that villains tend to be the villains of the time. So, like, in the 60s and 70s, you had Russians, and now you have, like, uh, people of Arab descent. But, like... It just felt lazy. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't disagree there. Yeah, absolutely. And they, I mean, they had the one who had an Arab character that they were they were sympathetic towards, but yeah, and then certainly. killed him off. <laughs> and they killed him off. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's uh, it's it's still Hollywood. You know yep. what I mean? It's still Hollywood. Actually, we didn't mention him. Sean Tobe was very good in that role. Yes, he was. Yes, that that was he was he was great. He uh he he definitely, I think he was a key part of of making you sympathetic towards Tony Stark and uh, uh, to, to, to steal the, the lines from the film to, to, to convince you that Tony Stark does have a heart and he is, uh, you know, he is a, a good guy at his core when he tries to save him. Yeah, absolutely. Like he was the likable character character there solely to exist to humanize Tony Stark and then yeah. get killed. But, you know, it worked pretty well. <laughs> it worked. It did work pretty well. So that is Iron Man. It is indeed. After that will be Hulk. Ooh, I'm not a fan of that one. No, I remember liking it at the time, but we'll get we'll get into that when when we're talking about Hulk. Before we go, do you want to plug anything? Oh, plugs. Well, I guess yeah. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Barry Lads for you know wrestling tweets and and life tweets and all that jazz. You can follow the podcast I host every Sunday at Chairshot Pod on Twitter, the Chairshot Podcast. You know, wrestling themed, but also heavily you know involved in non wrestling stuff. So a little bit of everything. Those are the two main ones. If I have anything else coming up, I'll be plugging them uh, fiercely on Twitter. So, uh, so yeah, that's all for now, I'd say. Thanks for coming on the show, Barry. Thanks very much. You can listen to new episodes of podcast today every single day at soundcloud.com forward slash TWSKK. You can subscribe on iTunes, just search for the TWS network, or subscribe on YouTube. Follow me on Twitter at Gary Kidney, G-A-R-E-T-T-K-I-D-N-E-Y. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. <laughs>